I've been in this journey for the last several months, and even in our, our specific house church, uh, we've been in a conversation of uh, unfamiliarizing ourselves with certain words and phrases and ideas. I've realized that, I mean, I've been going to church for over two decades. Anybody been going to church for longer than that? Been part of a church for longer than that? I see some hands in the back. We won't call you out. But the re- yeah, my wife was born in church, so I guess she got me there. <clears throat> but the reality is, I know for me, there are certain phrases, certain words, certain things that are just too common. It's just, they're just, I hear them, and they don't pack the same punch that they used to. I don't stand in awe of certain phrases and ideas, right? Like God became a human being. Like this should cause us to stop and think and wonder. This should cause us to be in awe of the fact that that God, the creator of all things, he created humans and then he became one. Right? Like these things, when we read the word and we read the scriptures, when we think, when we read that God, this human, died. You know, when we lived overseas, and this was one of the struggling points when we were preaching to Muslims. Like, what do you mean God became a human being? He's God. How could he become a human? And then you, after you're going to convince me he's a human, you want to tell me he died? God is capable of dying? There's so many, like, of these ideas that we've become so familiar with. Uh, that I believe they've lost their umph in our hearts. And so what I want to do today is to talk about uh, one of them specifically, that I feel like the Lord has been taking me on a journey on, and I believe for us as a community, as a people, if he's going to get the people he wants and desires here in Orlando, St. Cloud, Kissimmee, wherever you're at, Central Florida, that we're going to have to refamiliarize ourselves with this through his eyes. <clears throat> and I'm not here to redefine everything. I know I'm, if you're a part of my specific house church, you might feel like that's what we've been doing for a while because it's the conversation the Lord's had us in. And it's been fantastic. And we've taken time to talk about, like, what is the gospel? Right? Like we talk, what is the gospel? Like what was the gospel that the disciples preached when Jesus sent them out two by two? What was the message? Because I promise you, he, when they went out, he wasn't, they weren't telling him, telling people that God became a human and then he lived the perfect life and then died on a cross and rose three days later. And then asked people if they wanted to fill out a decision card. It wasn't the gospel they were preaching in Matthew chapter 10. So we have to familiarize ourselves with what was the gospel they were preaching. What was the message they had? And so we've taken time to talk about it, look in the scriptures. And like I said, this is not, we're not going to go through everything, but there's one specific one. If you look at John chapter 3. Regardless, on, and, and, and short answer, the message they preached was the kingdom. They preached that God was still the king of the earth, and he was going to come and one day rule all of the earth and all of humanity. And this was good news. It's good news that God still reigns in the earth. That's the message that they preached. And they demonstrated. And regardless on how we want to define then what the kingdom is. And the umph that's been lost in our hearts there. And how familiar we become with these terms and these words. 
wherever, however we want to define that, we, I think we can all agree that it all starts in the same place. That's what I want to talk about today. In John chapter 3, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I would submit that at least for my own life, and I would say a lot of believers that I know, the idea of what it means to be born again has been lost. We've become so common. Like, again, if you've been part of the church for 1, 2, 3, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, it just becomes a given. It be, some things just become so normal to us that we don't actually know what it is we're talking about. You watch, I watch YouTube videos where people are like street preaching and they're yelling at unbelievers that they need to be born again. And I can just imagine someone who's never gone to church before, never read a Bible before. And especially now in today's day, there's more people that have never gone to church and never read a Bible. And somebody's holding a megaphone yelling in them that they're going to go to hell if they're not, they don't repent and get born again. And they're like, what? Define those words for me, please. If it's so important, help me understand what it means. Like I know for me, early on, when I first started going, if being born again meant that you got saved at camp or the retreat, right? You got water baptized on, specific, on a specific day, the church picnic, right? Or you rededicated your life at this retreat or in 10th grade, the summer of this or whatever it was when you had your first kid or whatever it was. And these phrases of like, I've rededicated my life. I've gotten born again. And we've, it's just the way we define them, but never actually stopping to think, what does it actually mean? And nowadays, if you turn on the TV or get on the Internet, the world system is going to tell you how to define what it means to be born again. Right? The world system is going to say, well... I can be an LGBTQ, LMNOP Christian, right? I can be a pro-choice Christian. I can be a blank Christian. I can decide whatever kind of Christian I want to be because apparently Jesus had multiple definitions of what it meant to be a Christian. And so the reason why you're that way and I'm this way is because we're just different kinds of the same thing. Jesus was too close-minded. It's what we're saying, essentially. Because we're so self-centered and so arrogant and prideful that we think this is all about us. And I would submit that it's important that we know how to answer what it means to be born again. How Jesus defines what it means to be born again. Did Jesus consider the 5,000 to be born again? Any guesses? Like, did he consider them his followers or his disciples? Like, or did he know that they really just wanted free food and they wanted to see miracles? Because they were following him, listening to his teachings, right? So they considered... Believe, to be believers? 
Did he consider them his followers or his disciples? What about the 70? I'd call them disciples. He did. Right? He sent them out to do ministry, to preach the gospel, to preach the good news of the coming kingdom. But then what about after John chapter 6? When he tells them that you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, does Jesus still consider them his followers, his disciples? Do they still get to walk around telling people, oh, yeah, we're Jesus' followers? Because nowadays anybody can say that. And there's no real accountability. There's no way to actually check because a people that are not anchored in a people have no way to verify what they actually are. Like, I could tell you I'm a good husband and a good father. I could say that, and I could tell you all the reasons why I'm a good husband and a good father. But you really don't know unless you sit down with my wife and my kids. Because in that part of my life, I'm anchored into a people that can say amen to whatever it is I'm claiming. So the question I have then is what criteria did Jesus have? To determine who his followers were. And I'm going to ask this question a million times. You know the phrase, like, you could beat a dead horse, or we're going to kill a horse, and we're going to beat it, and we're going to beat it again. We might kill a couple sacred cows, too, and then we're going to take it out of Steve's house, throw it on the smoker, and have a barbecue. All right? Because to me, it matters. To me, it matters that if Jesus is going to get the people he deserves, the people he desires, then how we define these terms and these ideas matters. Because if we have a different definition than he does, then we may need to do some recalibrating in our hearts. In Mark chapter 8, I'm going to start at verse 31. Thirty-one through thirty-five says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began rebuking him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Verse 34. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Verse 34 says that he summoned the crowd with the disciples. As I'm reading this, I'm realizing those are two separate groups. That there, are, there can be people that are following Jesus, that are listening to his teachings, that are around and they're seeing the miracles. They're seeing the manifest presence of God touch people's lives and ruin their lives and they could still not be considered disciples. You could be going to this church or any other church for the last 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and not be a disciple of Jesus. You're just a part of the crowd. And that's a hard issue. I'm not here to say, hey, here's the list. 
We're checking it, checking IDs at the door. I'm just saying that when Paul tells the Corinthians, like, test yourselves and make sure that you're in the faith, it's biblical to sit down with the word and say, okay, Jesus, what criteria are you, are you using? How did you determine who was in what group? Because I want to be a disciple. I don't just want to be a part of the crowd. And he tells his disciples and the crowd. Because, right? you know, we know there's times he tells his disciples, hey, there's things I'm telling you that I'm not telling them. Right? Here, he's got them both. And here's the message to everyone. If you want to follow me, you've got to first deny yourself. You've got to pick up your cross. And then you can follow me. I would submit that we tend to do that backwards. We tend to tell people, start following Jesus and he's going to help you to deny yourself and pick up your cross. Jesus says, hey, listen, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to decide that your way is not the right way. If you're going to follow me, before we even start, you're going to have to determine in your heart that whatever way you want to go is not the way. You're going to have to deny yourself of that. And then you're going to pick up a cross. Then you're going to kill that thing. You're going to put that to death. You're going to burn the bridge, if you will. Once you've done that, come and follow me. He tells the rich young ruler, go sell everything you've got. Take the money, give it to the poor. And then you can come follow me. It wasn't like, hey, once you started following me and you realized that it was worth it and you felt all the goosebumps and you felt better and you felt free, then you decided, you know what, I think I'm going to get rid of everything like you asked me to do in the beginning. No, you decide to do that up front because it starts with a revelation of who he is. He's God in the flesh. God in a human body telling you, hey, listen, if you want to walk with me, Here's what it's going to take. And I would say that I was, a, I was guilty myself of trying to follow Jesus without actually denying myself and picking up a cross for many, 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 many years. And I was miserable. I was a joyless Christian, if you will. If, we can, if I can add a category of my own. If we're going to make up our own categories, I would say I was a Christian that had no joy because I was miserable. But by Jesus' definition, right? You're filled with God. You should have joy. So that category doesn't really exist. <laughs> Just to be we're clear. <clears throat> and so Jesus has this crowd of people and he's got his disciples. These two groups. These two groups can be broken down into people that are that Jesus is walking with and people that are walking with Jesus. Like, I don't want to be just somebody who follows around. Maybe in the old covenant, that would have been good enough. Let's follow the, let's follow the pillar of fire in the cloud. I just want to be around to see it. There's so many of us. But he, he died, he, he gave his life so that 
I could have access. Like Miko was here, like I could have access to him so that we could have access to God. This is good news. This is the gospel. This is what it means to be born again. It's, it's, and, and so much of the emphasis gets put on all the other things, all the peripherals. Church attendance, giving records, decision cards, miracle testimonies, Instagram followers. How many people you brought to church last week? How many people you've baptized? Who got baptized by who? These are all the markers that we've come up with on our own to determine the fruit of somebody's life. Rather than looking for transformation and a submission to Jesus as Lord. What if the way we determined who was born again wasn't by looking at these exterior lists, but was actually by, man, I've shared my life with this guy. I know he loves Jesus. I shared my life with them. I know they're submitted to Jesus as the Lord. I don't have to make a decision over the first cup of coffee. When we used to lead a work in Chicago way back in the day when we were ministering a lot of college students, and we had, I mean, there was a season where it was like, it was what was happening. We had, at its height, about 65 different young adults from 15 different churches coming to our living room, from all these churches, and we were just going for it. And one of the things I would tell our group of, of leaders, I was like, hey, listen, we're going to assume that nobody's born again until you know. I don't care what church they come from. I don't care what position they have there. I don't care how long they've been there. Just assume they need to be reminded that Jesus is Lord and King until you know because the Spirit bears witness in your own heart. Now, this person is the real deal. They really love Jesus. And I'm not saying we've got to walk around with like a critical spirit. But I think far too often I've seen it. I've seen it happen where you could be in a group full of mature believers Maybe it's happened in your house church. I don't know. Somebody shows up from such and such church. They've been over there for three years serving over there. And so what do you assume? Oh, yeah, you must be a mature believer. You were serving over there. People know you over there. You know this person and that person. Uh, you've already explained to me your spiritual resume. You've dropped all the names of what school you went to and all the books you've read and all these things. We just assume And until we start to see things as we get to know them, and you're like, oh, I don't know about this one. Let me ask Frankie what he thinks. Let me ask Mike, because now I don't know what to do. Because I've been engaging and interacting with them in a certain way because I just didn't want to take the time to get to know them and actually be like, man, maybe the Lord brought them here so that we could help them, so that we could be an example to them and a place of accountability and encouragement and building up so that Jesus could have his way in their lives. Or we're not impressed with the activity. Right? Matthew chapter 7. This is after talking about knowing a tree by its fruit. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. Jesus says... Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. 
And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I would submit to everyone that we've been lied to by somebody. I don't even know where it started, but Peter's not going to be standing at the pearly gates checking IDs. Jesus is going to be the bouncer of heaven. Jesus is going to be the one to say, hold on a second. I, I don't know who you are. I'm not, okay, I heard your resume. I'm looking at it here, but I don't recognize this name. I don't recognize your face. Is it possible that you were just a part of the crowds? Is it possible that like, you never really submitted to my lordship? And entered into a real, thriving, joy-filled relationship with me. Did you just get introduced to a culture? The American church has a, its own culture. Jesus' kingdom has a culture. And they're at war with one another. Jesus' kingdom is at war with all the other cultures. <clears throat> Jesus is going to be there one day. And the question isn't going to be, as my old pastor used to say, the question is not going to be, did you accept Jesus while on earth? The question is going to be, will Jesus accept you on the other side? Because you could tell me and show me written in your Bible the date. You were three months old when your mother wrote your name in that Bible. Put that date down. She asked you if you wanted to receive Jesus, and you were like, and that's it. She was so eager. Bless her heart. Right? And then what? this is what happened. And I'm obviously, making, I'm obviously exaggerating for the joke to make a joke, but, but this actually does happen. And so then what happens is, now mom, dad, and Uncle Larry are trying to spend the next 20 years to convince you that you're a believer. Though you've never really submitted to Jesus and you don't actually want Jesus, you just know that you've grown up going to church your whole life. And everybody's trying to convince you of something that you're not. You know on the inside you're not. I remember being a part of a church for years, being unsubmitted to the Lord. Living in all types of flagrant disobedience. And then at 21, God really got a hold of me. I was born again. And I remember sharing with somebody how, like, man, for these first five years, I don't really think I was born again. I got into an argument with a youth pastor. He used to be one of my youth leaders. And he was like, oh, no, you were born again. I know for sure. And I'm like, no, trust me. I was doing this, that, and the other the whole time for five years. And they're like, yeah, but based on what you knew, God forgave you because you didn't know you couldn't do those things. And I was like, no, it doesn't work that way. I don't get to decide what the criteria is for being born again. I don't get to say, well, no, I, nobody told me that I wasn't allowed to go out. And for the sake of mixed company, I don't get to go out and do whatever. Nobody told me I couldn't do that. That's, that's not how it works. And then on the other side of it. Being really born again, living my life, trying to submit to Jesus. 
And then I fall into the trap of chasing a resume. Something that I could give to him and say, look, this is my proof that I loved you. He's like, well, we never talked. I was like, yeah, but I was too busy doing all these other things for you, so I didn't have any time to spend with you. I'm sorry. You should just be happy that I was not out doing that. Like, this is where my heart was at. And the Lord in his patience and his love has journeyed with me and taught me what it means for him to be Lord, for him to be king, to be born again, to be filled with the spirit of God. And according to Jesus, his followers carry crosses, and they live a life of self-denial. It's real easy to consider self-denial when it comes to the big sins. You've been part of church any amount of time. You know there's a whole list of things that you're like, nah, we're not even going there. That's, that's a, there's not even an option anymore. I'm too grown for those things. But is Jesus Lord? Are you carrying a cross? Are you living in self-denial in the, in the little areas of bitterness and resentment? Unforgiveness, petty attitudes towards other believers, people in general, but well, we just allow, oh no, it's cool because I'm, at least I'm not doing that. We compare ourselves by our past and by one another rather than looking at the scriptures and saying, this is what Jesus is looking for in my life. He tells Peter, you don't have your mind on God's interests, but man's. God's interest looks like a human being denying himself and carrying a cross. That was Mark chapter 8, Matthew 16. That's Jesus sitting with his disciples and telling them, hey, listen, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be beaten. Peter, no, 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 no. Not on my watch, bro. I got your back. No way. There's no way this is going to happen. And he tells, hey, Peter, listen up, man. You don't have your mind set on God's interest. You're on man's interest. You know how I know? Because man's interests are always looking for a way to sidestep across. Man's interests are always looking like there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a way that's not that hard. That's not as hard as this, as what you're asking me. I mean, the reality is <clears throat> that we all have these areas. Every one of us in here, young and old. These areas where Jesus is still wanting and desiring us to deny ourselves. To make a conscious decision, I'm going to deny myself what I want, and I'm going to be ruled by him and his desires. I'm going to be ruled by him. We don't have this, 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 this idea of lordship, you know, in, we're growing up in America. Most of us care more about our landlords than we do about Jesus the Lord. I can't put pictures on the wall. They said I couldn't. 
Right? We have this list of things that we've said, well, I understand that in this context, he decides what goes. Because he owns the building. But again, like I said, like this idea that we've been purchased by God himself has lost its oomph. It's the only way that we can sit there, read, our script, read the scriptures and think, oh, that doesn't really apply to me because... We don't live in this day anymore. Things have changed. Like I said, Jesus is too close-minded, right? Some of us will submit to our employers before we submit to Jesus, says Lordship. Oh, I can't, I can't do that because I, I represent my company. If they see me doing that online, man, I could lose my job. Don't pose that. Right? We're we're so much more concerned with someone else's opinion of us because we know that we'll be held accountable for it. Because we've lost sight of the fact that he's coming back and we're going to be accountable for every thought and every careless word. Every careless word. For those of us that are mature believers, we've got the the big sins down packed. But what about the careless words to our coworkers, to our friends, to our spouses, to our children, to our neighbors? What about the careless words in our minds and in our hearts to the person who cut us off on the way to church? Or the fast food driver who messed up your order? Like, Jesus wants to rule you in every area of your life so that these little things aren't little things anymore. They're non-existent. Because I promise you, Jesus could go through a Chick-fil-A drive through get his order messed up, and he's not going to be cussing nobody out. He's not going to hold an offense. He's not going to say, I'm not going back to that Chick-fil-A. I'm not going there. He's not going to hold this grudge. Jesus tells this parable in Matthew chapter 7, a little bit before what we read. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gates. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few will find it. Only a few. Jesus says, hey, listen, the road's narrow, and only a few are going to find it. Have you found the road that leads to life? The narrow road. Anybody ever read Pilgrim's Progress? We read this to the kids a couple years ago. It's a fantastic book. It was the first time I had ever read it, reading it to my kids. And Janelle said there were certain days where we're reading this book to the kids and I'm a crying mess. 
But I just remember this, like all these little parallels about this road and how difficult it was for him. And this one looked easier. And then he took the road. He's like, well, that wasn't it. I should have listened to the king. Jesus says the narrow road, the road that leads to life is difficult and it's hard to find. And I think sometimes we excuse ourselves from the difficulty and denying ourselves and carrying crosses because we think that these are only for places where the gospel is not allowed and people are being persecuted. But we live in America. So we don't got to carry those crosses. That's why I'm talking about these little things in our hearts that Jesus wants to rule. Because I promise you, if you won't let him rule you in these little things, you better pray persecution doesn't come to America. You ain't going to make it. You're not going to deny yourself when it, when it counts, when it's your life or his. Because he said anybody who loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake, that's how you're going to find your life. I mean, think of these men were, were, were so given over to the rule of God in their lives that they all willingly laid their lives down. Paul says, listen, I know what's coming. I know what's coming when I get back to Jerusalem. Chains, persecutions. I know what's going to happen. They're coming for me. So, of course, I'm not going, right? That's, that's what most of us would do. Paul's like, no, I know what's coming. And I consider it a joy. It's my joy to lay my life down for him. And I'm not, again, saying that we need to go out seeking some sort of self-proclaimed martyrdom and, you know, be some weirdos trying to get beat up and spit on on the street corners. That's not what I'm saying. Please hear that. <laughs> what I am saying is that those that choose to be ruled by their own desires are choosing the wide road. Those that choose the, wise road, the wide road that leads to destruction. And those who choose to deny their flesh are choosing this narrow road that Jesus walked. He's not asking us to do something he hasn't done. He's not asking you to do something that the Spirit will not give you the power and the strength to do. In fact, the scriptures have make a really strong case that you have everything you need to take the narrow road. You just don't want to. That's the problem. That's the problem. We just don't want to. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. And we're Americans. We make decisions based on comfort. I'm not going to the store. It's hot outside. I remember a friend of mine from... He, he, Born and raised in Europe, we went to a, like, a, like a strip mall plaza thing. And we walked into, we parked here, we walked into one store. And, you know, if there's a Publix by your house, there's a, like a Chinese restaurant and like a nail salon and all these other things, right? And so, like, we parked here, we went inside to the grocery store. And then the next store we had to go to was on the other side of the parking lot. 
And we walked out of the store. And he starts walking to the store. I said, where are you going? He says, the car's over here. He goes, you're going to drive? And I was like, yeah. It's on the other side of the parking lot. He was like, you Americans, man. And I was like, then we got to walk back. <laughs> we very much make decisions based on comfort. Based on what we want and what we like. Isn't that funny? Isn't it strange or odd that the only things God speaks to you are things that you want? Amen. (laughs) It never comes across as strange that the only ways he answers your prayers are by saying, green light, go. Mike asked this question a couple of months ago in a Bible study. Well, when's the last time that you felt the grace of God to do something you didn't want to do? Right? Oh, I didn't do it. I didn't, I, didn't really feel, I didn't really feel I had grace for it. I felt the grace live, brother. That's why I left. That's what we do, right? Because surely God would never ask me to do something I don't want to do. Some of us have said yes to something that Jesus wasn't offering. I've said yes in areas of my life to things that Jesus wasn't offering. In the beginning, God created man and woman in a garden. And the idea was that he was going to walk with them. And they were pure and innocent, and he was going to be the one to teach them good and evil, right and wrong. And man chose to do it their own way. I, on my own, have decided that I am going to figure out what the right thing is and what the wrong thing is. And that, my friends, is what we call sin. That I have decided that on my own, I'm going to figure out what he wants. And I'm going to figure out how he wants it. And I'm going to do it the way I think he wants me to do it. Because I don't trust that he's going to tell me how he wants to do it. The self-ruled life is a trap. Simply put, if you're in charge of what you do with your life, then you're ruling your own life. You can't say Jesus is Lord of your life if he's not ruling your life. You can't say Jesus is Lord. That would make you a liar. You don't actually believe that. You can't say he's king because the evidence of his kingdom is a kingdom is the domain where the king reigns. The king rules in this space. And the scripture says that the kingdom of God is within us. So what should be happening is that God who's seated on high is ruling what's on the inside of us. That's how the kingdom is on the inside. So if he's not ruling on the inside, there's no kingdom on the inside. You're just a part of the crowd. And what he's after is a people that he can rule at a heart level 
Because it's those people that are going to choose to sacrificially lay their lives down for one another. And it's by that choice that the world is going to say, these people are ruled by something else other than themselves. It's the evidence that he's been sent by God and he's the king. Second <clears throat> Timothy chapter 3. I got two more passages I want to read. Second Timothy chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 1 through 5. Paul tells Timothy, realize this. That in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Paul says some 2,000 years ago that in the last days it's going to be difficult. And here's how you're going to know what, it look, what, what it's going to look like. Men will be lovers of themselves. That's how you're going to know. People are going to live for themselves. I have a book at home. I'm going to read a quote about this passage. He says, this is written in the 80s. He says, lovers of self, that is the disgusting reality of our generation. Men are making decisions with only one consideration, loving of self. Everyone is shouting for his, or his own rights. Brazen men and women boast of their shame. They do their own thing. It has become the vocal philosophy defended in modern men's love is the love of self. It's 40 years ago. This was a problem 40 years ago. And I listen, here's, I'm going to let you in on a secret. This was a problem way before that. It's been a problem since the beginning that man has wanted to rule his own life. The good news is you don't have to. The good news is you don't have to keep making decisions that are selfish and carnal and only lead to more selfish and carnal things. He can set you free and give you a new nature, make you a whole new person. That's good news only if you realize that and come to deny yourself first. Until you realize that ruling your own life is the exact opposite of what Jesus wants for you, you're never going to deny yourself. He says they hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. Why? How does that work? Because the power of the Spirit is what enables you to be ruled by Jesus. How do I not be a person who is a lover of self? Be ruled by Jesus. Jesus wasn't a lover of self. 
If there's something on this list that we just read in 2 Timothy here, then you're denying the power of the Spirit in your life. Malicious gossips, disobedient to parents, unholy, without self-control, you're denying the power of the Spirit in your life. Jeff Hubing, when I was in Bible school, would say, the power of the Spirit is meant to help you embrace the cross, not avoid it. The Spirit of God is at work to make you like Jesus, to make you a human being that is submitted to the Spirit, being ruled by God. The Spirit is not trying to figure out a new way for you to avoid having to deny yourself and pick up your cross. This last passage I want to read here is in 2 Corinthians 5. This is more of Paul writing to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 19 says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that... They who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. And the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He died for all so that we all died with him. So that, here's the reason why that happened. Is what Paul is saying. The reason why that happened is so that all who live now will no longer live for themselves. This is the people of God. This is the church. A people who don't live for themselves. Because we're not ruled by our own desires anymore. We're ruled by his spirit. We are a new Creature, you are a new creation with a new nature. Read Romans 6, 7, and 8. Stop living by the old man. Stop being ruled by the old man. He's been put to death. Like Jesus gave his life so that we could be ruled by him. That our lives would declare that he is Lord. I didn't, you don't need a bumper sticker to tell people that you're ruled by Jesus. Just have a conversation with them. Be kind. Be patient. Be forgiving. Be loving. Have self-control. We live in a society now where self-control isn't needed anymore. Just live your truth. Whatever you want. Whatever makes you happy, 
is what the spirit of the world is saying. But we get to be a people that no longer live for ourselves. New creation looks like we're not selfish people anymore. It looks like Jesus being Lord over your preferences. It looks like Jesus being Lord over your rights. This is a difficult one for us in America. I have rights. Says who? Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, having never done anything wrong, never sinned, never had a sinful thought, never had an angry grudge towards somebody, never sinned in his heart or in his mind, and he's the king. He is God in the flesh. If anybody had rights, it was him. And he sat there and let them put him on trial and kill him knowing he'd done nothing wrong ever. So you tell me why you have rights. You tell me why you don't have to do it that way. Because you were born in America and you have a blue passport. You tell me why you deserve to have it your way. Was it McDonald's, Burger King? Which one was it? You tell me. Listen, Jesus ruling your heart means you don't have rights anymore. If he's king and he's Lord, you don't get to decide anymore. You just get to say, yes. You just get to say, okay. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but you're asking me to do it, so you're going to help me. I know you will. You're not playing games with me. You're not pranking. Jesus is not trolling us. If he's asking you to do something, if he's asking you to lay something down, if he's asking you to pick up that cross and carry it, he's not doing it for fun. He's not looking at, you know, angels. Watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. I'm going to try to get him back. I know he can't pick it up. He's going to be there forever. He's going to be frustrated. And then he's going to get mad at his wife. Even though she didn't do anything wrong. Why are you laughing at? <laughs> we got an amen in the back, apparently. <clears throat> Jesus is not messing with you. He's inviting you to choose to yield to him. If he's going to get the people he wants, we could sit here and sing the roof off this place. But if he's not going to rule in here once the roof comes down... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because it's got to get on the inside. It's got to get on the inside. You know how we're going to sing the roof off this place? It's when he's ruling on the inside. And now we're free to just sing and dance and praise because we're not in the bondage to ourselves anymore. Looking at this narrow road should cause you to say, God, help me. I know this is the way. You walked this way. I know it's possible, but I'm going to need help. I don't want to do it, but I trust you. I don't want to, 
I'm uncomfortable, but I trust you. I trust that you know good from evil. And so if you tell me to do it, it's got to be good. I'm going to define what's good based on what you tell me, not based on what I feel on the inside. Because Adam and Eve ate from the tree, and then they heard him coming, and they went and they hid, and they covered themselves up. They were hiding. Why? Because they were afraid. They now interpreted this. They've only ever known him as good for as long as they've existed. But as soon as they started making selfish decisions, now they relate to him differently. We saw you coming, and we were afraid, so we hid. Why would you be afraid? It's not like they got PTSD or something. It's not like they, they have this long history of him like torturing them and beating them. And it's because now they've decided that they know what's right and what's wrong. And the reality is that sometimes, again, I'm not saying we need to go after being these like weird Christians who are trying to get persecuted on street corners or wherever it is. But suffering is a part of this. Somehow, somewhere. Again, Jesus, having never done anything wrong, suffered. And died a gruesome, brutal death. The wisdom, God's wisdom, the wisdom of the cross is that it is the way that he gets the humans he wants. God's never going to get out of you what he desires as long as you keep sidestepping this thing. As long as you keep choosing to do it the way that you like doing it, the way you want to do it. As long as it's based on your preferences and your desires. If God wants a people that look like Jesus, and we want to be a people that look like Jesus, we're going to have to accept the fact that Jesus died on a cross. Jesus suffered. Jesus always said yes to the desires of the Father. He sat in that garden on his knees praying, not trying to manipulate the Lord into getting another way. He did say, if there's another way, let's do that. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging, I don't want to do this. There's nothing wrong with saying, like, man, I wish there was something else. But regardless, not my will, but yours be done. If this is what you want, I'll do it. Because I trust you. Because you're good. And you've always been good. You've been nothing but good to me. So I trust you. And so if this is the only way that you can get what you want, I'm going to give it to you. Jesus didn't sit in the garden praying while his buddies were asleep. Come wake them up and say, hey, guys, you know what? I was, I was, I, I was going to get arrested tonight, but I really didn't have peace about it. So I just kind of, I'm just going to go back and pray. I'm going to jump on a fast, see if the Lord speaks to me about a different way. Because peace, your carnal, scared self is going to be the barometer for peace. When God's asking you to lay your life down, you're gonna, you're the, you trust yourself enough to be like, I can tell whether or not God's peace is here or not. 
Jesus didn't have peace in the garden. He had trust. I don't really feel good about this, man. There's another way to do this. Let's do that. But I trust you. I trust you. I know you love me. I know you love me. I know you love me, and I love you. So if this is the only way you get what you want, I'll do it. Sometimes, even in this, in our faithfulness to the Lord, we fall into a trap. We fall into this trap of thinking that our self-denial and our carrying our cross and our suffering is worth it because breakthrough is coming on the other side. Right? That's the only reason we would, it's worth it to endure, right? This is what we, how we encourage one another. Oh, I know it's hard right now, but God's on the move. It's going to get better. So just Endure. Tell that to the guys at the second half of Hebrews 11. Sawn in two. It's going to get better, brother. Hold on. Breakthrough's coming. Share this post. This is the nonsense we've accepted. That somehow, if we do this, he owes us now. He owes me my breakthrough, so it's got to be on the way. What if, what if... What if he was going to get glory out of your life? He was going to be glorified by you saying yes, regardless of how hard it was, how much you had to suffer, regardless of you being crushed on every side every day for the rest of your life. What if that's how he was going to be glorified somehow and you never saw the breakthrough? Is he still worth it? You still saying yes to that if he tells you that's what it's going to be like up front? You're still saying, okay, sign me up. What if that's the way he's going to make you like his son? You're going to learn how to suffer like Jesus. you still saying yes? This seems unreasonable, unrealistic? Read through Acts. The Lord tells Ananias, go down to this street. There's going to be a man there who's blind. You're going to tell him how much he must suffer for my name. Who's signing up for that ministry school? Thank God Paul said yes. Because it's through his yes now that we get to understand what God is like. But what if he would have been like, nah, this ain't it. Nah. I'm going to another church, man. This is too heavy. Don't send Ananias. No, 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 no. I heard what he told you. Give me a different prophet. I reject that. I don't bear witness with that word. So much of this is rooted in self. Jesus, I'll suffer for you because I know that you have plans to use me. We've talked about this before. How many times you get a prophetic word about living a mediocre life? Anybody? 
Anybody ever at a conference and somebody's, man, I, was, I saw you and immediately the Lord spoke to me and told me, you're going to be a stay-at-home mom. You're going to change diapers, do dishes, make sandwiches, and you're going to be just, that's it. Nobody's going to know who you are and live in insignificance, it's going to feel like. Oh, praise God. It's the exact opposite. How is it that that's the only thing God ever wants to say to us? He tells Paul, you're going to suffer for my name, but he tells me I'm going to have influence and platforms and my name's going to be on somebody's screen. We've accepted a lower level invitation that is rooted in self. And we got to be a people that choose to deny ourselves, choose to pick up a cross, choose to say, yes, Jesus, whatever you want. This is what it means to be born again. I'm a new person. I'm not the same person I used to be. That guy's dead. The guy who wanted that platform, he died. I, I'm not, I don't want to bring him back to life. Jesus doesn't want to bring him back to life. The power of the Spirit is not bringing him back to life. The power of the Spirit saying, hey, let's kill him again. I think I saw his eye move. <laughs> Listen, any Jesus, any Jesus that does not call you to embrace the cross and die to yourself, any Jesus that doesn't tell you that the road is narrow and that few are going to find it, any Jesus that allows you to be Lord of your own life, that's not Jesus. You know what that is? That's the golden calf you've built with your own hands so that you could worship it and call it Jesus, but that's not Jesus. <clears throat> this isn't the Jesus. That's not the Jesus whose heart burns with love for you. It's not the Jesus who wants to see you free from insecurity, from fear, from self-consciousness. This is how you get free. You die to yourself. You know who doesn't care what people think about them? Dead people. <clears throat> I remember years ago before the pops moved overseas, <clears throat> and we were talking to this guy who was a contemporary of Richard Wormbrand, so they served together under communism in Romania. And this guy was just encouraging us, and he shared it with our team as well. And he said, you know, when, when, like when we were going to Iraq, he's like, uh, <clears throat> go there having already made up your mind that you're going to give your life for these people. Go there with this in mind. I'm going there to give my life. He said, so that if they take it, you won't be mad. I wanted to give you my life. That was the goal. I wanted to lay my life down for a people. That's the goal. Anybody ever throw a barbecue and then everybody shows up, everybody shows up and everybody's fasting and you're like, man, I made all this food and nobody's eating. The goal was for them to eat it. I prepared all of this so that you could have it. I wanted it to be gone. Go, spend your life for what God is doing in the earth. 
Go, being will, planning to serve and give everything. Guess what? You can't get taken advantage of when the plan was to give everything away. That's how you, get on, that's how you stay unoffended. I was trying to give it to you anyways. You didn't take it from me. <clears throat> Jesus' life was not taken from him. He gave his life. It was a conscious choice to give his life. <clears throat> and we are new creatures. I've said this before in our house church. You've heard this before. And I'll keep saying this because it matters. Listen, new creation is real. There's going to come a day. There's going to be a day in history that will be written down when you are going to be so much like him. You're going to be ruled by him. He's faithful to finish what he started. There's going to be a day, guess what, where you're always going to say yes. Because he's making you into a new kind of human, a new race, a new being. There's going to be a day when you're always going to choose Jesus. There's going to be a day when you're going to be ruled by him. All of this is working towards that. And the only way to get there is to look at that cross and say, Lord, help me. Because it's only on the other side of that thing. It's only on the other side of that thing that he's going to get out of you what he wants. It's the only way. There is no other way. There's not a plan B. It's the only plan. Him ruling these little areas of your heart with resentment and bitterness, arrogance and pride. All of this is working for that day. Every relationship you have in this room right now, God has orchestrated so that he could get you ready for that day. Every relationship that builds you up and fills your tank and every one that bleeds you out. Because he's trying to teach us. He's trying to teach us how to be filled by him. Where what's in our tank isn't determined by who he puts us in front of. Yes, there's something beautiful about doing life together. Absolutely. I believe Jesus was refreshed by his relationship with the disciples at times. They were doing real life together. But he was sustained by how the Father felt about him. His tank was filled because he knew who he was. He knew the Father was pleased with him. He knew the Father found pleasure in him. And Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you hear me. I thank you that you always hear me. How would you pray? What would you pray for? If you actually believed that he was listening and he was pleased with you. If there was no recollection that you've ever done anything wrong. Meaning, you actually believe you were justified by the blood. That you were made righteous because of his righteousness. If you actually believe that, it would change the way you prayed. It would change what you prayed for, how you prayed, who you talked to, who you loved. It would change everything about you because you would know 
that you please the Father. And you would be free. You wouldn't be doing it because you're trying to earn his love. You wouldn't be doing it because you're trying to earn acceptance. You wouldn't be doing it because you're trying to want other, you want other people to acknowledge you. You'd be doing it because it's what he wants. <clears throat> now, the Spirit is helping us to embrace this cross and to deny ourselves. That's what he's doing. And my prayer for us is that Jesus would get what he wants out of us, what he deserves from us, that we would be a people that are known, not for great worship, that's cool, not for everybody fasting all the time, that's cool, not for evangelism, like that's cool, that we'd be a people that would be known, like, man, we've watched these people say yes to the Lord. And it seems like they've gone through the ringer, but they, they, they still love him. They still said yes. And that comes from having a right idea of who he is. May we be a people marked by the cross. That when we talk about what it means to be born again, <clears throat> it would have nothing to do with the date on the inside of our Bibles. But it would have everything to do with being feeling on the inside. And I'm ruled I'm ruled by this man. This man is in charge of everything I do. He lovingly, gently corrects me when I think something, when I have a bad attitude. <clears throat> That's what it looks like to be ruled. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means that you're yielding. It means you're listening. It means like you're like, oh, I'm sorry. Yep, yep I'll fix that right now. That's what it looks like to be ruled. And the Spirit is at work in us and among us to this end. <clears throat> Not that we would be a weird people who are seeking to suffer to make a name for ourselves. But that we would be a people that would say, man, I feel like the Lord is crushing me right now. But I have nowhere else to go. I tr if he's crushing me, it's somehow, somehow, it's a part of the process. <clears throat> for him to get what he wants out of me. He said Job was blameless, and then Job gets crushed on every side. <clears throat> His wife is like, man, haven't you had enough of this guy already? Just curse him already. Just curse God. Can't you see he's ruining your life? Walking with this God, remember, he's living in a day when all the other nations have their own gods. Why'd you pick this one, Job? He's ruining your life. He's got three buddies, knuckleheads. All of them. All of them happen to know why this is happening to him. We know the story. We know that the enemy is the one crushing him. And the Lord's allowing it to happen. But Job doesn't know that. Job says, man, the Lord gives he takes away. I'm going to bless him regardless. Why? Because I trust him. Because I know he's good. Because I know he's loving. I may not understand all of these things, but I know he's good. I understand that. I know that. That's, and that's enough for me to say yes again. <clears throat> so maybe we could just take a moment here and just pray.
Maybe we could take a moment and just pray on your own. Do business with the Lord. If there's areas that you're aware of, if there's something where you know like the Lord is putting his finger on a specific area where he, it's, it, there's been a conversation y'all have been having where he's like, hey, you're not really letting me rule you in this area. You're not really letting me be Lord here. If that's happening and the Lord is trying to have this conversation with you now, say yes. Say yes. It's the only way you're going to find real freedom. It's the only way.